today on 2C Vans. Whole, the whole expedition was, was a big surprise. Um, just how wonderful the weather was most of the time we were there, how beautiful the coastline was, how, how fishable the area was, how many sharks were there. Uh, I wasn't, wasn't surprised that people were wonderful. We know the Canadians are, are great people, but they, were, they really opened their, their arms to us, and uh, I, I just I can't wait to go back. Are you, uh, have you seen anything really good on tracking the migrations of the six with satellite tags so far? What do you mean by good, like unexpected or...? Good as in scientifically interesting. I guess they all are. Well. Hello and welcome to 2C Fans at Moat Marine Laboratory, your podcast for marine science and education and conservation at Moat in Sarasota, Florida. I'm Haley Riker. And I am Joe Nicholson. Hi, Joe. Hi, Hales. I'm glad the recorder's working. Yeah, we had a little major, or oh no, minor malfunction. A little major. Say. A little major. A little major. A little major minor. <laughs> you may be hearing us on a new recorder soon. It's a major minor. He's a army guy who mines. He's a <laughs> <laughs> okay, good start, Joe. Good okay. start. We are here with one of our uh, favorite guests, so he, we asked him to return to talk about a, a major shark research expedition, Dr. Bob Huter. It's good to be with you guys again, and uh, I'm happy to talk about our major minor expedition in Nova Scotia that we yeah. just recently had. I consider it major. So uh, why did you and, and O-Search go to Nova Scotia, and what were you looking for? Well, we were we were trying to find white sharks up in Nova Scotia. We, some of the some of the uh, white sharks that we've been tagging over the last oh five six years on the northwest coast of um, of the Atlantic here in, on the U.S. side have gone to Nova Scotia, and especially the bigger ones, the big adults, um, uh, males and females. So we suspected that some hanky panky might be going on up there, mm, and. We decided to go last September, and we had a just a marvelous expedition. So those were the sharks that you guys tagged in other areas of the U.S. Atlantic coast, and they they just headed up there, and that's how you guys got the idea to to go. Yeah, we we uh, tracked these sharks in real time mm -hmm. uh, through their satellite tags that we put on their fins, and sharks that we had tagged in, say Cape Cod and and points to the south. Some of them had had spent unusual amounts of time up in up in Nova Scotia, especially in the late summer. I was going to say, what months were these? Yeah, it was generally from uh, any time after July uh, up through even into you know October in the in the in the winter months or really? the, the cold months. Huh. So we put ourselves up there in uh, mid September, and we. We absolutely struck gold. We found white sharks in an area, in actually just one area. We could have probably had a dozen or more animals uh, oh, wow. over the course of the expedition. But we, we ended up sampling and tagging seven and saw another four, uh, some of which might have been one of the, one or two of the ones that we tagged. But um, we, had, we basically, once we found the spot, we didn't have to move. Yeah, that's kind of nice. And these were... Enormous animals. Um, the biggest one was over 15 feet long, maybe 2,000 pounds. Whoa. <laughs> Smallest one was about mm, a mere nine and a half feet. A mere, he says, <laughs> yes. And uh, just very interesting place. Uh, beautiful spot, uh, rocky coast um, with some beaches around and uh, even places where people swim, which was interesting for them to learn about these big white sharks that were right in their, in their neighborhood. I would imagine. Interesting for them to learn that they've been swimming there all along and and never attacked. Yeah, yeah. These are surfers that wear 
you know, wetsuits because water is pretty chilly. Yeah. yeah. And they look like big seals. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of what the sharks are there for as well, is, is we think is feeding on seals. Although we didn't see a whole lot of seals where we were, which was interesting. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, the surfers at first were a little bit disconcerted by the, <laughs> by the activities. <laughs> well, we, and we, we, you know, had to work with them to explain that we're not really drawing these sharks in, but, in fact, we're just pulling back the curtain and revealing to you Showing what's always you been what's there. out there, yeah. Mm. yeah. So uh, there was a great team on this trip. Uh, can you give us some examples of who uh, went along and what kind of research projects uh, were being served? Yeah, we had a we had um, a team working on fifteen different projects uh, for this this one expedition from uh, I think I think nineteen different uh, research institutions in both Canada and the United States. Wow! Uh, total of uh, twenty six um, scientists, leading scientists, and their students, and um, not all of them were were on the ship. Some of them just sent uh, materials for us to collect samples for them. I was going to say, it'd be hard to work with that many people around one shark. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, everybody wants to get their little syringe. I'm just kidding. That's a lot. Too many. <laughs> Too many. Get in line. Get yeah, in line. yeah. Get in line behind this. This sh- and remind people for um, who don't know how do you how do you get all enough samples and, and tag a shark um, quickly and efficiently with the OSERGE ship. It's well, a special kind of ship, right? It's, it's absolutely unique. There's nothing else like it. It has, um, well, first of all, it starts with a crew. And, the, and then we has a, has a master fishing crew that's, that just know how to get these animals yeah. and, um, and get them safely without harm to the animals themselves uh, over to us on the ship. And um, unlike most of my career where, I, where I've hung off the side of a boat <laughs> trying to work on a live shark thrashing around the water, Yeah. This ship has a, 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 what we call a platform or a cradle that we put over the side that's enormous. It can pick up as much as 75,000 pounds. Wow. And we just swim the sharks up onto the platform and then raise them up on the platform and uh, giving them uh, seawater as they come up and out of the water and um, covering the, the eyes and the gills with a wet towel and, and monitoring their their um, their health through the whole experience, which lasts about 15 minutes. And during that 15 minutes, the, the scientists just huddle all around the shark, uh, doing a variety of procedures, including taking blood and muscle samples and measurements and picking off parasites and, and attaching tags of various kinds. And then at the end, we drop the platform and off the, the shark swims, swims away. And everybody uh, can see this by looking at the videos that that are posted on the OSEARCH website at OSEARCH.org. And we've heard that, um, you know, some people ask if the shark gets stressed by this more than they would, you know, with another method, and you say, maybe not. No, we we actually uh, monitor the stress level. We take blood, the very first thing we do when the the shark comes up, and then we look, uh, we take a blood sample, the very last thing we do before Mm -hmm. we release the shark, and um, our our veterinarians on board, and we do have a vet on for the entire expedition. That's good. runs the, the samples into the lab uh, that we have on the ship and, and we look at the stress level and uh, as, um, as shown in the blood. And we actually see the stress going down hmm. in really? a lot of these animals uh, throughout, the, throughout the, uh, their time on the lift. And well, because they're fighting, they're caught by hook and, hook and line, correct? They are caught by hook and line and they're, they're, they're brought under control 
pretty rapidly. So any kind of um, so the initial hook and line catch would put them under stress. That that will build up, sure, yeah. some, some stress. But the difference between what we do and what other people do in the water is that when the animal stays in the water, it has a tendency to think that it can still escape and, mm-hmm. and keeps struggling and struggling and struggling. Mm-hmm. That builds up lactic acid in the in the blood, drops the pH, and and can put. So it's the same as humans. You, you you measure the amount of lactic acid. That's in correct. The, in the yeah, okay. it's, it's the same same uh, same phenomenon basically. Gotcha. And you want to avoid the pH dropping too much. So. Um, we just kind of feel like the animals when they get in the lift they they sort of uh relent and mm. they they i wouldn't say give up but they but they just you know this is unusual for them and they just chill out at least the species not not every shark is going to do this but yeah. the whites do these big whites mm. and we've uh, fortunate for you because they're a large animal they're large animals we have to be careful of course about our own safety yes um so uh but but when but we've never lost one and and as they swim away we're able to to track their activities of course through the satellite tag and that's shown that that they're doing just fine so with the satellite tag you guys are able to monitor them where they're going with the blood draws you can tell genetics stress levels all kinds of stuff yeah and even things like um what they're eating what they're eating um we're looking at that in the blood and in the, in the tissue. We're looking for contaminants. We're even looking now for for um, microplastics. Oh, really? In the blood. Okay. That's, you know, that's yeah, yeah that's big, the new a, thing. A yeah. Big issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There are many things. Uh, if it's if it's a male, we we look for sperm. We try to collect sperm. Look at the viability of the sperm. If it's mm-hmm. a female, we do an ultrasound and see if she's pregnant. Really? And we can do all this in in fifteen minutes. Wow. And so, and, but you're also collecting parasites off the animal, you said as well, right? Picking parasites well, off the surface of the animal. Is that just for health of the animal, or are you actually, no, is no, there a reason to collect the parasites? <laughs> no, we're not, we're not trying to clean them. Hey, so. come on <laughs> in for a, yes, a barbershop. The, the shark would probably appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for removing my fleas. Yes. But uh, um, no, actually, the parasites can tell you a lot about where the animals have been because the parasites co evolve with their host. And a shark that's, say, been in the Mediterranean would have a certain kind of a parasite fawn on it. A shark that's been um, in the Caribbean have another. So we work with a scientist at, at Auburn University, okay. a guy named Ash Bullard, and he, he looks at what species uh, we're taking off these animals and, and tells us a little bit about where these sharks have been. So it's, it's another way to, to kind of track them biologically. Wow. Okay. So um, this time around in uh, Nova Scotia, was anything, what stood out to you? What was the best part of the trip for you, the, the highlights? Well, I, what, what really stood out was that we had these really big animals in, in, uh, in a concentrated you know, number in, in such a small area. Mm-hmm. I mean, we literally didn't have to move uh, that much once we found the spot. And this is, and, and, we f- and these were both uh, sub-adults, kind of the older teenagers, if you will, mm. as well as uh, mature animals, adults, you know, males and females that were ready for mating. So it w- it just to see that kind of uh, concentration of these super predators in, in such a small area, it was very weird. It was be like going to the Serengeti Plain and seeing, you know, you know, 50 lions all in one spot. You don't see that. You see that would weird very few predators <laughs> and then lots of their prey. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah. there's not enough food typically to, to feed all these. Yeah, animals. I mean, for them to divide up the habitat is, um, you know, 
literally don't know how they do that at this yeah. point. Mm -hmm. So, so this was just the beginning. Uh, this this work had never been done before up there, and um, we are already planning our return to add to our numbers. Awesome. Um, but we didn't see any signs of mating. We didn't see any direct signs of mating while we were there. Mm -hmm. So we can't confirm that. But certainly the adults were there. They could have been mating, uh, maybe offshore. But probably up there to feed um, and uh, and perhaps do other things in their life cycle. Yeah. And tell us about the uh, the biggest shark you had, Luna. Uh, humongous. And, like, I couldn't believe the size of that shark relative to the tag that was put on her. Really? Yeah, yeah, she uh, when she came on board, we were we all held our breath because she was so big, and um, she just there there are pictures of her on the website that you look at, you just go whoa. Mm -hmm. um, How big was the shark? Well, she she measured uh, more than fifteen feet total length, and uh, <laughs> we estimate her weight at, at uh, about twenty one hundred pounds. Whoa! And she wasn't even pregnant. If she'd been pregnant, she would have been even bigger. But she Whoa. wasn't pregnant, and um, she, she, I wouldn't say she had an attitude, but she definitely had confidence. <laughs> <laughs> she every once in a while she kind of gave us a big smile, uh, and you'd see one of the one of uh, our photographer Rob Snow. He does such great work. Uh, one of his shots of her uh, with her teeth bared as she's uh, kind of Smiling going through the you. smile <laughs> and it's 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 pretty uh pretty fierce, awesome fierce smile and how'd, how'd she get her name luna yeah well we were based in the town of lunenburg oh. and it's such a uh, beautiful spot a world heritage unesco world heritage site. you know what lunenburg's famous for uh cod well, but also beer. <laughs> no, that's that's where the uh, Blue Nose uh, oh, schooner uh, was built yes. in Lunenburg, Nova Scotia. It was a famous Canadian uh, schooner. Uh, won a lot of races. Cool. And, yeah, it's on which coin? The dime, I believe. The dime, and yes. the and the Blue Nose two, which is a replica, is yes. there in Lunenburg. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, we we learned a lot about blue noses and where the where the name came from, where uh -huh. it was thought to have come from. So, yeah, Lunenburg was the was actually the 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 epicenter of the cod fishery, the big Nova Scotia cod fishery on the Grand Banks until it collapsed in the in the late well seventies yeah. seventies yeah. yeah. Is overfishing of cod? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Seriously, you had people from all over the world coming to fish those mm -hmm. cod banks. So the people there are still trying to kind of retool their economy, and uh, tourism is, is very big now because it's such a beautiful place. Mm -hmm. And so we named Luna after the, the great people of Lunenburg. Nice. So you've got a lot of different, uh, you said seven sharks on this trip. Uh, can you give us their names? <laughs> Name all seven, Bob. Oh. Like your children. <laughs> <laughs> well, six of them got tagged, so <clears throat> six of them are on the O-Search website. So we have Hal, which was our, our biggest Halifax. male. For Halifax, yeah, we had the first one we caught. We named Nova, Nova. obviously. Nova Scotia, yeah. there. Uh -huh. Second one we named Jefferson. What do you th how do you, what do you think Jefferson, Jefferson is named after? Uh, George. <laughs> 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 Moving on up to Nova <laughs> yeah. Scotia. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> no, it has nothing to do with Nova Scotia. We named Jefferson uh, for a uh, corporate sponsor, uh, Jefferson Bourbon, that actually is oh, a really? corporate sponsor of Osage. Oh, okay. And, uh, uh, very very generous uh, company with with helping us with our research and uh, also stocking our bar. <laughs> oh, <that is. laughs> Makes for uh, happy scientists. So that was uh, Jefferson, and then uh, 
we had a shark that we didn't give an official name to because we were not at that time it was supposed to be too small for us to tag according to the what the federal agency had told us up there Mm -hmm. so we just called him shorty shorty and uh he was the smallest so you won't see you you won't see him on the on the on the website Uh, but we did put a put an acoustic tag on him though and then later the the federal government said we're wrong you guys can tag everything you get so basically stop doing that uh we got a we got a a little bit smaller uh female named that we named jane and jane Jane was named for um uh captain brett mcbride's mother okay cool who was um she was very ill at the time and she's she has subsequently died from cancer so we we named it named jane after her well that's a good memorial and then there, the last one was Cabot. And Cabot, you, yeah. Joe, you're a Canadian. Yeah, Tell yeah. me about Cabot. Who's well, he Cabot? Was, he was an explorer yeah. of the, uh, the the region back in the day. Uh, he was one of the first English explorers of Nova Scotia and Cape Breton. Was He was kind of uh, described to us as the Christopher Columbus of Nova Scotia. He, he, he was. Um, and he, there's a, a trail that runs from Cape Breton all the way to Quebec, I believe, that's called the Cabot Trail. You can cool. hike. Right. Yeah. So it, it, um, the, whole, the whole expedition was, was a big surprise. Um, just how wonderful the weather was most of the time we were there, how beautiful the coastline was, how, how fishable the area was, how many sharks were there. Uh, I wasn't, wasn't surprised that people were wonderful. We know the Canadians are, are great people, but they, were, they really opened their, their arms to us, and uh, I, I just I can't wait to go back. Are you, uh, have you seen anything really good on tracking the migrations of the six with satellite tags so far? What do you mean by good, like unexpected or? Good as in scientifically interesting. I guess they all are, well, but. Uh, as we watch the six um, ping to us, you know, phone home, so to speak, and you can, you can continue to watch this. We will be watching this over the next five years uh, mm-hmm. uh, through their satellite tags. Uh, about th- uh, half of them, three of them, stuck around Nova Scotia for a few weeks after they were tagged, and three of them decided, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So they started heading south, and now all but one are down in, in U.S. waters uh, uh, from, I think, around Delaware Bay to uh, South Carolina. They're spread cool. out along the coast, um, typically not, not right up too close to the shore, but, but off on the shelf. We don't know where they're going to go, but we have seen white sharks come into even the Gulf of Mexico in they, winter. I totally expect some of these to come down all Ooh. the way around. Uh, probably looking for me to, to <laughs> <laughs> tell me what what is this thing you put on me. Uh, but interestingly, Luna is still hanging around, at least as of her last signal. She was still hanging around up in the Bay of Fundy. So oh, really? With those the big storm that as the storms that have come through, I, I think she'll probably be moving soon. But uh, now, what would they be feeding on? These big animals as they move south, because there's not like a population of seals or yeah or anything like that. Would it be well, tuna or, or just big fish? Probably. I mean, uh, the the fact is that we we're we're dialing back a little bit um, some of the thoughts about how much these are feeding these animals are feeding on marine mammals versus fish. That fish. was once thought that that white sharks started out when they're small feeding on fish and maybe some other smaller sharks and things like that. And that as they grew, their teeth changed, and they really become marine mammal eaters. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true, but it doesn't look like they give up 
their fish diet either. They they do still like tuna, and they like to go offshore in these in these warm water eddies and, and feed on um, things like tuna and other other fish but out they, there. But they are known to be feeding like on like dead whale carcasses dead whales, yeah. and, and stuff like that offshore, correct? Correct. Um, uh, if you if you find a, a stranded dead whale offshore, then these you often see these really large white sharks um, taking feeding. advantage of the meal, and then seals. Uh, uh, the seal population in the in the states pretty much peters out south of Cape Cod. Cape Cod has lots and lots and lots of gray seals, um, so they can feed on seals there. But but when they get south, there's not there's not much seal other than fish, for, except, and and then these the occasional whale. Yeah, right whales is something that they uh, seem to to like to target uh, down south off of Georgia and North Florida, where we have them in the winter time, and that's. That's a concern because the right whale population is in very dire condition, and yeah. we're, we're getting down to literally some like the last couple of hundred of these animals. Oh wow! So um, we have a we have a uh, a balancing act happening now. As the as the white sharks uh, are are coming back through management, we're rebuilding the population, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were they were uh, severely depleted up through the the nineties and the two thousands because of Certain movies and books. And <laughs> well, <laughs> some of that, that didn't help. Trophy yeah. fishing. Trophy fishing yeah. and, and really a lot of bycatch problems, especially yeah. on the younger uh, stages uh, near shore that were getting caught in things like gill nets for other species. Mm-hmm. So um, that's been fixed, more or less, and we're seeing a uh, rebuilding of the population, which is absolutely critical to put things back into balance, uh, such as getting the seal population under control up in mm-hmm. Cape Cod. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 with that, though, comes other things, and uh, the fact that they do feed on these uh, large endangered whales, uh, there might be an effect there. And there's no discounting the, the, the public safety issues, too, on, on our beaches. Um, we, you know, in fact, up in Cape Cod, we had two uh, serious attacks by white sharks, one of which was, was fatal mm. this past summer. Um, that's, that cannot be swept aside as, as not being uh, related to the return of these animals uh, yeah. to the area. So how do we respond to that? Uh, yeah. do, we, do we decide that rebuilding the white shark population is bad? Um, in my opinion, no. We <clears throat> we just change how we how we use the water, and we we make sure that people understand the risks, and that um, uh, we give them the guidelines so that they minimize their own personal risk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, had there you, been any like that? It didn't sound like there had been um, bites in Nova Scotia. I, I I hadn't heard of any. Had you? Attacks, you mean? Yeah, either yeah. attacks or... Encounters, I think we call it. It's, we I have different terms depending on how serious and what happens. Yeah, as I recall, I think there's only one case on record that was, oh. you know, decades ago. Um, it's very interesting to me that in this area off Lunenburg, um, you've got a pretty strong contingent of surfers that use that area. Yeah. And it's 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 amazing surfing. It really is. <laughs> it's I don't know how they do it. It's it's because you it's have cold. It's cold. It's big waves, and you end up on rocks. So yeah. <laughs> it's not like you end up on a nice, you know, white sandy beach. Yeah. But um, they've been doing it for a long time, um, huh. and I mean, literally decades, and no known incidents. And yet these these you know fifteen foot 
predators. Predators are just off the coast. So it is. Yeah. I mean, it does show that they're not hunting us, of course. And um, hmm. I, you know, I just, I just hope that those people <clears throat> are careful. <laughs> well, maybe the more we know about, <clears throat> the more we might know about what the sharks are doing in an area. Maybe we know how that affects the risk. So, uh, in terms of the whole. The big life history picture that um, you and OSEARCH would love to create for the North Atlantic. Um, how would you just say how far along we are? What do we know about about the stages or the steps these sharks take in their life? Well, we're, we're trying to get a picture from essentially from birth to mm -hmm. death. Yeah. But since these animals can live 70 years or more, that ain't going to happen during my lifetime. Wow. <laughs> my career. Um, I didn't know they had that kind of lifespan. They do. Yeah. But what we what we get are, are the critical pieces in each of the stages, and yeah. we've already uh, we've already established um, that this area off Long Island, we've confirmed that that's a true nursery. That they're not that these little sharks aren't just being born somewhere else and passing through, but they they really spend their first uh, summer there, and that and then they return the next year, which is the definition of a shark nursery. Um, the sub-adults are probably the most, uh, you know, un, un, non-understood, if that's a word, uh, <laughs> group so far. And, uh, you know, who would guess, you know, the teenagers are the hardest ones to figure yeah, out, right? Yeah. No one understands The problematic me. ones, yeah. But they're the ones that are sort of, they're trying to figure things out for themselves and establish their cycles. The, the, the adults... We're, we're, we're closer to understanding what's going on there. And it's very similar to patterns that we've seen in places like South Africa where the big males, you know, the big dumb males, all they do is <laughs> range back and forth, up and down the coast, you know, like, like pacing up and down, waiting for the, their date to show up. And the females, on the other hand, uh, show a pattern of doing some of that and then, uh, then every couple of years looping way offshore. And we're pretty convinced that, that that's when they're pregnant, that they and go offshore. Gestation is taking place. Right. And they're staying away from the males while they're pregnant? Mm. Well, and they're going, and they're staying in warm water for, for uh, to gestate their young, and they're going places where the where the food supplies are, I guess, uh, per, you know, right for, for gestation. Yeah. So this is a dumb question, but white sharks are, they're fishes, they're fishes, or they are fish, but they, how much uh, do they rely on the external temperature. I think of fishes as being reliant on the mm -hmm. external temperature, but then I think of some big animals as making some body heat. Well, because white sharks are endothermic, correct? They are. Most most fishes, and including most sharks, are 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 um, what we used to call co cold-blooded animals, mm -hmm. poikilotherms, which means that you just you're just at the mercy of the of the surrounding your environment, environment yeah. your ambient temperature. Yeah. So the so the body temperature rises and falls with the surrounding water temperature. In the case of uh, some shark species, including the white shark and and its relative, uh, the mako, that group, um, they have uh, a circulatory system in them that kind of recycles body heat that's built up in the core from muscle activity and from things like digestive activity. Mm. And they, they uh, return that heat to the inside of the animal and it allows them to keep a body temperature which is above the surrounding temperature. And that's, most fish can't do that and most sharks can't do that. So, <laughs> so we see these white sharks, they, they, their preference is uh, in terms of Fahrenheit, like low 60s, that's, where, that's sort of their sweet spot. But they'll go into 
warmer water than that. They don't like really warm, warm water, so you don't see them too much in the tropics. Mm -hmm. They like that, that sort of warm temperate to cool water, but they will go into to, uh, to Arctic um, latitudes. And oh, wow. We see them in water of like, uh, you know, uh, just above freezing, basically, just slightly above freezing. Hmm. And they'll spend some time there. Those are the Canadian white shirts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got they like hockey. They're playing yeah, hockey. They're up playing hockey. I guess. <laughs> well, thanks, Bob. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Second time, just as exciting. Just as exciting. Very uh, different part of the world. Just as exciting. Where are you going next? <laughs> uh, next, we're. I mean, we're still concentrating on the on this North Atlantic yeah. uh, region. Studies. So going back up there. So, so the next is is North Florida and South Georgia um, in the next winter, okay. uh, probably February March, um, and then uh, we, we're looking to do a tiger shark expedition actually off of the Carolinas. Cool. Oh wow! Uh, and then back up to the the uh, Nantucket, Cape Cod area in August, and then finally back up to uh, Nova Scotia next September. Cool. We'll find you where we find the sharks. Wow, you got a lot of uh, you got a lot of tagging ahead of you. These guys take me to all these wonderful places, so uh, I'm just thankful that white sharks have such good taste in the places that they <laughs> They <laughs> from, do. From Hilton Head to Lunenburg, Nova, Nova Scotia. Scotia. They, they really know how to live. They do. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us again. Yeah, that was thank great. Thank you, guys. Um, all right, guys. We'll see you in two weeks for another episode of Two Sea Fans at Moat.